0: awesome welcome uh, to OCBC our English congregation I'm uh, my name is Dan I'm the English congregation pastor here we're glad that you're worshiping uh, here with us this morning Uh, our Chinese side uh, met before us here they celebrated I believe six or seven baptisms how many six baptisms including pastor David's daughter so that's pretty cool that is pretty awesome so it was a happy day they were crowded in here standing room only for that service and that's why we're really excited that this is our last easter where we need to be separate like next year we can actually have our whole church together to, to celebrate easter together so that is pretty cool something to look forward to if you have a bible open up to acts chapter 8 and uh if you're visiting here, uh, one of the things we've been doing is we've been going and looking through the book of Acts, and today we're, we're not going to like, I'm not going to be preaching this, this text from the book of Acts, but I'm going to open it up by looking at this text in the book of Acts, and then we're going to actually look at it in greater detail next week. So let's read it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, I'll show you where we're going to go. So in Acts chapter 8, we are in... Verse 26 and following, if you have a Bible, you might have a Bible on your phone. That's really cool. There's a lot of different Bible apps you can download on your phone, and you can follow along that way. Um, There's also some Bibles maybe around you in the pew. Uh, They're blue, and you can find one there. There's also some other color ones. They might be Chinese. If you read Chinese, go for that. Um, But yeah, you can follow along. We're in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, who was one of the evangelists that we were introduced to last week? The angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south toward the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said to him, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he speaking about himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And like I said, we're not going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 this week. Uh, In fact, next week we're going to be talking about this eunuch, and, and about how amazing it was that he not only heard the word, but he received the word of God, and how he was received into the church. And that's what we're going to be talking about and looking about next week. It's a, it's a radical um, passage in Scripture. But what we do want to do today is we're going to look at the Scripture that Philip was looking at, this book of Isaiah, written probably seven 800 years before Christ. This chapter in the book of Isaiah Called the Forbidden Chapter. Sometimes I sent a video. I put a, posted a video on Facebook. It was amazing. In Israel, this this chapter. This is part of the Jewish Tanakh. It's it's the scriptures. It's part of the scriptures that Jewish people read. But at some point in history, they they forbade this chapter to be read in the synagogues. And so there's a video on our Facebook page that was made of a man in Israel going around and reading this forbidden chapter with. Jewish people in Israel and it's amazing I was going to show it this morning but it's about 10 minutes long and it's in Hebrew I thought that would be an interesting way of our service is just to read because it's it's subtitled and I'll tell you even the subtitles are amazing so so watch that video Uh, but that video is about Isaiah 53 and that's what we're going to look at today but before we go any further why don't we uh, just continue our service in prayer Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, we come before you today, and I humbly ask you to fill us with your power, with your spirit. May the words that I speak, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable to you, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will send your spirit to be here in a, in a unique way among us, convicting hearts and pointing to the glory of your Son. And uh, this Easter, we celebrate many... We, we, it's a happy day. We celebrate spring. We celebrate you know, chocolate. We celebrate a lot of things, but, but truly we're here gathered today because your son is risen from the dead. And, and what that means and the implications of that, not only to our lives, but to the nations, to the world, and to history. Uh, we stand before you in awe. Lord, we pray. I pray uh, for churches around the world who are gathered today uh, celebrating uh, your resurrection. I, I pray, Lord, for safety and peace. Uh, after what happened in Egypt last week on Palm Sunday, we know that uh, Christian churches are targeted and uh, it's a, it's a uh, prominent day on the calendar. So I pray for safety and peace to reign in the world on this day, the day of your resurrection, the day that you have uh, demonstrated victory over sin and death. So we give you thanks and praise in your name. Amen. It says uh, in this text, it says, uh, and Philip opened up from this chapter and started proclaiming to him the good news about Jesus. Good news. Good news is news of relief. Right? How many of you guys are done with your finals? That's good news. You feel that relief wash over you when the good news is that you're done with your finals. How many of you guys uh, had a test that you thought, oh, I'm going to fail, I'm going to do terrible, and then you took the test and you realized, oh, was not it bad? Relief. Relief. I mean, that's the thing. You need trouble in order to have good news. You need trouble in order to have relief. Right? When you get a test back from the doctor and you were fearful of what, I mean, I had a dentist appointment this week. I had a, a full exam. I hadn't had that for a while. Relief when the bad news wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, right? You go to the doctor, and you, you're, you're, you're dreading uh, the doctor what he might say, or you're dreading that, that that treatment would work, or you're dreading that your body would respond in the way that it was supposed to respond, and you hear the good news, and it brings relief. Well, we have a lot of relief. Good news only only works when there's trouble. We have a lot of troubles that plague us. We have car trouble, work trouble, girl trouble, guy trouble, friend trouble, health trouble, 99 troubles. That's not how that goes, but whatever. (laughs) A never-ending end to the troubles that plague us as human beings. And the Bible makes things a little bit more simple for us. And, and what we're going to look at as we look into Isaiah and, and think about Easter is that really there's three, uh, you can have a lot of those troubles, girl trouble, guy trouble, car trouble, work trouble, school trouble, test trouble, you can have all those, but those are surface level troubles. And the Bible tells us, and the Bible teaches us to probe more deeply, to probe more deeply at the heart of our troubles. And so today we're going to, I'm going to introduce you to three troubles that plague mankind, and we're going to see what Isaiah 53, chapter, the forbidden chapter in Isaiah have to speak, and how Isaiah points us to the only hope for those troubles. The three troubles that face us, if you get down to the heart and you dig deep beyond the surface level troubles, the three troubles that face us are ignorance, guilt, and weakness. Ignorance, guilt, and weakness. The Bible speaks to these troubles. Ignorance. There's a lot of different levels at which we're ignorant. In fact, ignorance is a thing like you know, today that's almost the one insult you can still tell somebody, you can still call somebody. You're so ignorant, right? Ignorance. We're ignorant of what to do. When you're when you're in your life and you're you're just confused as to what the next steps are taken, because you can't judge the time. You can't judge the manner, and you can't judge if I do this, it's going to lead to that, and so I don't know what to do. The book of Ecclesiastes says that there is a time and a way, or another translation, there's a a time and a manner for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. You know know that, that little song, to everything turn, 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 there is a season. You ever heard that song? Only the white people are nodding, I guess. That's what's happening here. they are like, what? It's taken from the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a time for every season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to cry, a time for war, a time for peace. And Ecclesiastes says, there is a time and a purpose, a time and a manner for everything, yet man's troubles lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be for who can tell him how it will be? It's the trouble that you, you, you... That's the trouble of ignorance on a day-to-day life. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to be. I don't know what's going to be. That's our trouble. But that confusion leads to the deeper trouble of ignorance, which is this. We don't know what to do because we don't know what is good. In fact, if... if unless we're sitting under God's revelation, our, our trouble is, not only that I just don't know what to do and I'm confused at what to do, it's that I do not know what is good, and so what we do is, we do what they did in Judges, where it says, we, every man did what is right in, its, in his own eyes. Or there's a book of the Bible called the Judges, in which that's the refrain. It comes up again and again in the book. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it's not describing that era of history as a good thing. You know, actually today, we, we kind of almost look at that as a cultural value in the West. Oh, do what is right in your own eyes. It's, it's, what, it's what you believe, it's what you think, it's what you judge to be good. And, and we almost take that as a cultural value. In the Bible, that book, uh, Judges, it's not a positive thing that every man was doing what is right in their own eyes. And it led to individual chaos, it led to community chaos, and it led to national chaos in the book of Judges. We're ignorant of what to do because we are ignorant of what is good. And if there is a good, and what is right and wrong, and how do we know what is right and wrong, and how, how, do, we, how do we even know anymore? And so I do what is right in my own eyes. And that individual confusion over what do I do, because that moral confusion, what is good, leads us to an epistemological. confusion. Confusion and an epistemological ignorance, saying, "I just don't even know what is true anymore." This year has been the year that we have—I mean, postmodernism. This thing has been coming for a long time, but this is the year that suddenly everybody woke up and said, "Hey, we're living in a post-truth culture with alternative facts, and we—all you have is spin now." And we don't. There is no. We're like Pilate when Jesus was brought before Pilate, and 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 Pilate throws his hands up into the air and says, "What is truth?" We are ignorant that there could even be truth. And so it hits us on the day-to-day level. I don't know what to do. It hits us on the moral level. I don't know what's good. It hits us on the epistemological level. I don't know what's true. And it all comes down, and in fact, what the Bible teaches is all this ignorance is self-inflicted. That all this ignorance comes about. Primarily because, it says in Romans chapter 1, what is known about God and what can be known about God is plain to us. For God has made it plain to us in the things that he has created. His divine power, his majesty are plain to us in the things that he's created. Therefore, we would have no excuse in our ignorance. But what the Bible actually says is it's not a problem of, of wisdom and it's not a problem of knowledge. What it's a problem of is our human heart. We refuse knowledge. And it says in our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. We welcome ignorance because we do not want to face the consequences that there is a God above us who is true and who is moral and who will tell us on a day-to-day life what to do. And that's a problem. Nietzsche knew that this was a problem. Nietzsche is like the father of a lot of the father of modern nihilistic and atheistic philosophy. But Nietzsche knew that when you killed God, all it led to was ignorance. In his uh, poem, Thus Spoke There a Strewster, the man-man rushes out, right? And, and I love this. I mean, this is one of the greatest insights of all, you know, non... Well, not, this is one of the greatest insights of philosophy. Non-Christian philosophy is here. He, the man-man rushes out, and he says, God is dead, God is dead. Where is God? I will tell you, we have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we, listen, what were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is its moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns. Are we not plunging continually backward, sideward, forward in all directions? If you've loosened yourself from God, if you've loosened yourself from the sun, there is no longer up or down. There's no longer east or west. We've unchained ourselves from the center. Are we not plunging continually? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing do we not feel the breath of empty space has it not become colder and listen is it not night continually closing in on us do we not need to light lanterns in the morning why do you light lanterns because you're living in darkness and Nietzsche's saying we've killed God we've disconnected ourselves from God we've 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 killed him, we've suppressed the truth in righteousness, and now, even in the morning, we're walking around in darkness, in ignorance. Daily confusion, moral, moral ignorance, the ignorance of truth, because we suppress the truth about God. That's the first trouble of man, is our ignorance. The second trouble we face as human beings... Is guilt. Guilt. Now there's two aspects to guilt. There's the subjective aspect of guilt, and there's the objective aspect of guilt. The subjective aspect of guilt is that feeling in your stomach when you know you've done wrong. The subjective aspect of guilt is that wish that you could go back and redo what has been done. I was watching a TV show this week with my wife, Survivor. You guys know I watch Survivor. And, and, and this week, one, one of the players did something that was not related to the game at all, but he betrayed the trust of one of the other Castaway members, and he did it. It wasn't about anything that happened in the game. It was about the person's life outside of the game. And as soon as he did what he did, he knew he had done wrong. And he even said, I wish I could go back, 15 minutes, I wish I could go back and undo what I've done. And you could see, not only was the person he had betrayed horrified, but he himself was horrified at the guilt that overwhelmed him because of what he had done. And he tried to make it better in the words that he spoke later. He tried to make it better in how he wanted to say, I can make up for it, I can make up for it. And everyone around said, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do to take back the words that you've already poured out. That's the subjective aspect of our guilt. And you and I have all been there with any of our relationships. We have known when we have destroyed trust. We've known when we have broken faith, we know when we have spoken words that we can't take back. We know when we have done actions that we say, I wish I could go back and change them because of this feeling of guilt. But let me tell you, that is only one aspect of guilt. There's not only the subjective feeling of guilt because if it were just the subjective feeling of guilt, we could do what our culture does out there and we could say, it doesn't really matter, there is no real right or wrong, and there is no, and we could we could just cover it up. But there's the objective fact, the objective reality of guilt that you have actually done and transgressed and violated what you ought not to have done. And there's an act of justice that is necessary to right the wrong. The objective fact of guilt cannot just be brushed off the sleeve. The objective fact of guilt demands restitution. It demands punishment. It demands justice. And so our guilt is not just the subjective trouble. It's not just the subjective problem. It's an objective fact. And if you you combine it with the first that we have suppressed the truth about God in our unrighteousness, and therefore we have exchanged the truth about God to worship and to serve the created things rather than the creator, what that means is that our guilt is not just an individual thing. What that means is that our guilt, our actual reality of our guilt, is us standing before a holy God, having violated, having, having disgraced and dishonored him, And try to brush that off your sleeve, and you cannot. It's like washing, and it won't come out. What can atone for your sin? What act of judgment and of justice can be poured out to deal not only with the subjective feeling of your guilt, but the objective reality of your guilt? That's the second trouble of man. And you all have been there. And you might not feel it this morning, but you feel it when you violate trust. You feel it when you betray your friend. You feel it when those words go out that you can't bring back. And you say, what can I do to make things right? And the truth is, you cannot do anything. That's the objective fact of our guilt. That's the second trouble. Ignorance, guilt. The third trouble is our helplessness. And it's related. Our weakness Because think about it, even if you knew what to do, right, even if you knew the good that was required of you, even if you knew the good, the ought that you must do, the problem that many of us have, in fact all of us have, is sometimes we know the good that we are to do and we are powerless to do it. We live in a generation, you guys live in a generation that is about, let's change the world, it's about righting the wrongs, it's about social justice and and, and, and tearing down unjust systems. But the problem is, even if you knew the thing to do, which we don't, if we're honest with ourselves. Even if you knew the thing to do, and even if you're saying, I'm going to write the scales and, and bring the scales back into order, the problem is often the solutions we come up with are worse than the problem. And the problem is that maybe I can do it, and guess what? It's not going to help. It's not going to last because other people are going to come around after me and muck it up. That's a little bit from the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I don't control, even if I could, I don't control what comes after me. And then if I look inside of myself, I realize what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7. The good I want to do myself, I don't do. When I was not a Christian, it was not necessarily the law of God that condemned me. When I was not a Christian, I knew that I had violated my own standard of what it meant to be a good person time and time and time and time and time again. It wasn't that I needed somebody to preach God's law at me to condemn me. My own conscience and my own standard condemned me. And so when my friend brought the gospel to me and said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I said, yeah, I get that. Because I don't even, I fall short of my own glory. I fall short of my own standard. And so I might know the good, but I have, I'm powerless to carry it out. That's the introduction. The troubles of man. Our ignorance of what is good and what is true are suppressed Ignorance, because it comes out of that suppression because we've betrayed the truthfulness about God. Our guilt in doing so, and our helplessness and our weakness and being able to change. Let's go to Isaiah. The forbidden chapter. The forbidden chapter of the book of Isaiah is speaking about a time of darkness. And into the darkness, God raises up this prophet Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, this, this marks a section of Scripture called the Servant Songs. Because the, the truth that God reveals to Isaiah is that the answer and the solution to these problems will not come about by reform. It will not come about because of a, a, a better education system. It will not come about by better parenting. It will not come about by The priests and the religious leaders getting things right that's not the answer to mankind's trouble it it will not come about by you doing something to help because remember weakness so the answer that god gives isaiah to proclaim to the people is that the answer the solution to our troubles is this figure this person called the servant of the lord And so these chapters in Isaiah are speaking about this servant song, these songs about this servant, this servant who is going to come and personally deal with the troubles of humanity. That's what we get in Isaiah 53 and following, this servant song. And I want you to listen and hear about how this servant, also known as the Messiah, how he will deal with the problems of man, with the troubles of man. So first, our ignorance the Messiah will reveal God and his ways to us. So this is the chapter that that, that eunuch who, who God sent Philip to, this is what he's reading from. And he says, who is this? We'll get to that. But the Messiah will reveal God and his ways. I'm going to actually start not in Isaiah 53, but in Isaiah 52, verse 13. It says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Listen here. For that which was not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah is speaking that when the servant comes, he's going to bring with him revelation of the arm of the Lord, revelation of God and his ways. And and he actually says here that the, the mouth of kings will be stopped. Sorry, that was a good one. The mouth of kings will be stopped on account of him, Because what they could not see before, what they could not understand, what they had not known, now they will see and now they will hear. In fact, this is related to Isaiah's call when God calls Isaiah and says, your call Isaiah, I'm setting you apart as my prophet to go to a people who are not seeing and who are not hearing. And proclaim to them that this servant is going to come. But when the servant comes, he's going to open up the eyes of the blind. He's going to open up the ears of the deaf and, deaf. and what they have not known, they will now see. And what they have not heard, they will not hear. And the servant is going to come and he's going to solve the problem of mankind's ignorance. He's going to reveal to us God and his ways. And now, turn with me to John chapter 1. I, I, this is a very easy message today. Three holidays that Christians in our culture celebrate routinely. What are the three holidays we celebrate? The big ones. What are the big three? Christmas. What's the second one? Easter and? Oh, no. Well, okay. We just did it two days ago. You'll get off of school for Good Friday, right? Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. We could throw in Thanksgiving later, but then the sermon will be longer. These three holidays are God's answers and his solutions to our problems. So Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our message? Who has seen what the arm of the Lord has revealed? The servant is going to reveal what we have not seen. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Nietzsche's darkness. Why do we light the lantern in the morning? Right? We light the lantern in the morning because we're walking and we're groping in darkness because we have cut ourselves out from God. We've killed God. And now we light the lantern in the morning because we're groping about in the darkness. And John says, no, no, no. In the beginning was the divine word. The word was divine. The word was with God. And in him was the life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shines into the darkness. We can't light our own lantern. God shines his light into our darkness. Darkness. And he, how does he shine his light into our darkness? Verse 15. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I hope that's verse 15. Verse 14. I was close. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And look it. And we have seen. We have seen what had not been understood before. Isaiah says they will see. We have seen his Glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from, verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. That ignorance, right? That ignorance of truth, that ignorance of what's good, that ignorance of what's true. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only, the no one has ever seen God, semicolon. The only God, namely, who is at the Father's side. There's a, that comma is a namely. The only God, namely, the one who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Christmas declares that God was not content to let us grope in darkness, to, to light our lanterns in the morning. Christmas declares that the divine word of God has shown his light into his creation, has shown his light into our humanity. How? Not by a voice from outside, but actually by coming inside onto our planet, putting, setting up his tent among us. So that when we saw Jesus, we saw the glory of the Father. When he revealed grace and truth, we said, okay, in the past God spoke through Moses and the prophets in many different ways. But now in this last days, he's spoken to us in his son. He's revealed all of the divine character to us in the person of Jesus Christ, in a person that we can see, that we can know, that we can understand. God has dealt with our problem of of ignorance and still we tried to suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. Still we hung him on the cross but the dark light shines into the darkness and the darkness can never and has never overcome it. Christmas is God's answer to our problem of ignorance. People say, I wish God would just reveal himself to me. He has. He came. Can you imagine any other worldview or religion that would dare to say that God has walked among us. that you say, I've never heard God, I never, I, I never saw God, I never felt God. Christmas declares he was here for all to see, for all to know. He's not content to let us light the lanterns in the morning. He came to end our ignorance. But the problem leads us to our next problem, right? The problem is that when he came, we still tried to extinguish his light. We, we demonstrated our sin even more. That when God came in and set up his tent among us, we rejected him, he came into his own, it says in John chapter one, and his own received him not. So when, 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 when revelation came, it, it, didn't, it didn't lead to everyone's salvation, what it led to was our even more condemnation. Because we hate the light. When it's early morning and somebody turns on that light, you hate it, because it hurts your eyes. He say kill it extinguish it close it I heard close the lights right and so it leads to the next problem the problem of our guilt go back to Isaiah 53 Isaiah 53 is amazing so talking about the servant well, I'm just going to read from here Who has believed he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground? He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We hate the truth. We hate the light. Which leads, so so the first problem of, of, of God coming and and, and, and taking care of our ignorance only led to more condemnation and more guilt. We despised him and we esteemed him not. But then, verse 4 surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for, not for his transgressions, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was speaking to the Jewish culture who God had trained through the centuries. That before we come into the presence of a holy God, atonement and payment must be made for our sin. And so they would come up to the temple and they'd bring us pure and spotless Lamb of God, without blemish. And they would lay their hands on the sacrifice. And it would symbolically be an act of transferring the guilt and the weight of my sin upon this sacrifice, this offering, this substitute. And the substitute would be offered up and the substitute would be slain. the blood would flow to show that guilt requires punishment. That guilt requires payment and so they saw this lamb millennia after millennia after millennia they were they were understanding that sin cannot just be brushed off the sleeve sin cannot be oh i wish i could go back in time and change that sin must be dealt with god's justice must be served his wrath must be a good word is propitiated there needs to be a payment to appease justice And that's what's happening here in Isaiah 53. And he's saying, this servant who's going to come, he's not just going to reveal the arm of the Lord. What he's going to do is he's actually going to take the sins upon himself. By his punishment, our peace will be secured. By his wounds, we will be healed. And John, in the New Testament, he sees Jesus coming up over the hill as John's baptizing at the river for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world. And we realize that this problem of guilt, actually, fundamentally, the problem of your and my guilt is not fundamentally our problem. The problem of our guilt is fundamentally, actually, God's problem. I'll tell you what I mean by that. There's a a passage in Romans. In fact, it's one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. It's Romans chapter 3. And it explains Jesus' death. And in Romans chapter three, verse 21, it says, "A righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. for there's no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift." through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Stop there. When I was not yet a Christian, I did not understand the gospel. And when I heard a verse like this, what I thought was God was just brushing my sin off. How could God just simply say, "Dan, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Here's a lollipop." Here's a lollipop. It's all better. Put a band-aid on the boo-boo of my rebellion. Because I was like, if if grace is a free gift, that doesn't appease justice. If if, if grace is a free gift, if, if, if I'm cursing God, and I deserve my sin be punished, and God just says, oh, it's okay. Where's justice? And here's the deal. None of you and none of me, none of us, want justice for ourselves but we sure we sure want justice when we're wronged we do we want justice we want there to be a, such a thing as justice so how could god both offer his grace as a free gift and appease his justice that's the second part of this verse we are justified by his grace as gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God is just in punishing us through the substitution of Christ. I played this video game with Caden yesterday, and there's this enemy you gotta fight. And this guy, this enemy you fight has a laser beam. And I don't know how you, like, I don't know how you can make how big you can make laser beams. Some of you guys in science. But the video game, the laser beam seems to be like that big. And if it hits anything, it just destroys everything. It just, right? And uh, the justice and the just wrath of God was coming at us like laser beam intensity. And Christ, a sacrificial lamb, he stepped in And took our place. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. That's Good Friday. That's Good Friday. That's what we celebrated two days ago. Why is Good Friday good? Because the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. Because the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. Because by his stripes and by his wounds we are healed. Because we could not deal with the problem of our guilt. Because we couldn't shake it off and because we couldn't just say, it's okay, I can go back in time because there's nothing we could do to atone for it. And so God made all amends to save. He did it for us. So we could be saved by grace, by free gift. Like on Good Friday, we, should be, we mourn around the cross, but we should be dancing around the cross because this is the free gift that he has done for us. It's a mournful day because we mourn over our sin, but it's a joyful day because we rejoice over our Savior. That's Good Friday. But it's not the end of the story. There's more. Isaiah 53, going back, Isaiah 53. Yes, it was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We've like sheep gone astray. We've turned to our own ways, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he was crushed. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says this, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. There's the guilt, but that's not the end of the verse. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, make many to be accounted righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. How can the servant divide the spoils with the strong when what it took to gain the spoils was his own death. There are many people who in military, like who in war, will give up their life for a greater cause, but then they're no longer around to divide the spoils with the victors. Right? So here in Isaiah 53, Isaiah is giving a riddle. Here this servant is going to be, it's the Lord's will to crush him But yet, after he is crushed, after he has given his soul as a guilt offering, the Lord will raise him up and exalt him. And he will divide the spoils of his victory with the strong. Now, how can he do that? He does this by Easter. He does this by having taken the punishment that our sins deserve and being put in the tomb with the rich man, He, on the third day, rises again from the dead to show that he has victory even over the grave. To show that he is the powerful one. See, any superhero, any superhero will save you and himself from death. Any superhero will do whatever he can do so that you don't die and that he doesn't die. He will use every power in his repertoire to keep you from dying. But Jesus does something greater. Jesus says, I'm going to defeat death itself. My superpower is that I'm going to die to death, and I'm going to raise again to show victory over it. It's amazing. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to do what? To take it back up again. Jesus says that the temple, this temple's all coming down, but destroy this temple, and on the third day I'll raise it up. God declares that Jesus was who he said he was with power through the resurrection of Christ, Romans chapter one. And in Ephesians, in Ephesians, it brings this entire Easter message together. In Ephesians chapter one, and it's the prayer for the church. In Ephesians chapter one, He prays this about the church, verse 15, For this reason, because I've heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, church, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you first... A spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him who is this servant. It is Jesus who is the servant. I now see Him. I now know Him. It has now been revealed to me. My ignorance, my blind eyes have been opened to see the Lord and the strength of His arm. Verse 19 or 18: having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might know three things. First, what is the hope to which He has called you? Second, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints when he divides the spoils with the strong? And third, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of the great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? See, here's the secret of the New Testament the secret of the New Testament is that we are not strong, we are weak. But through his resurrection, we are strong. He says, I pray that you would see that the same power that worked in Christ raising him from the dead is at work in you. So when Christ divides, when the Messiah divides the spoils with the strong, it's because he has made us strong. And so now, those three problems that plague mankind, ignorance and guilt, and weakness, we now have seen revelation of Lord and Jesus Christ. We now have had our sins and forgiven because of the work of Christ. We now experience the power of God through the spirit of the Lord that He has poured out upon His people. That's what Easter is. Christ is risen from the dead, and He has raised us, who are in him to new life. If you are here today, you do not know Jesus Christ. Just like that suffering, servant. he says, I'm reading that eunuch in Acts chapter 8. I'm reading this chapter, this forbidden chapter. Who is this talking about? And Philip goes and he preaches to him the good news about Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you today know, I understand Christmas now. I understand Good Friday now. I understand Easter now. Today come to Christ. Come before him. Pour your heart out and say, God, now I know I see it. I was lost. Now I found. I was blind. Now I see. I was guilty. Forgive me. I was weak. Come fill me with your spirit. There's not an altar call here. What happens in Acts chapter 8 when he preaches? Immediately, the, the, the eunuch says, here, what will prevent me from being baptized? And Philip says, here's water. Let's get in it. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, and as I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit has been opening up the eyes of your heart to see Jesus and the glory of God in Him. I want you, after I'm done speaking, to run up here to the front. Do not delay. Don't be shy. Come on up, and we will pray together. And, and if you're ready, we'll just throw you in the water. No, we're, I want we come forward to be baptized. If you've not yet, if you've been playing games with God and you've heard today the message of Easter, the message, and you said, I'm not playing games anymore, God, I see you. I see you. I know you. Come up and be baptized. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're saying, I I still seem like I walk in ignorance. I still seem like my sin is not yet fully atoned for. I, I still don't know how to walk in power. Come. The invitation is this. Come back to the cross. Come back to Christ. I'm not going to do this like raise your hand and rededicate yourself stuff. What I am going to do is when we start singing, this is what we do. When we start singing, you pray with all your might and you sing with all your might. And you say, God, I see you now and I remember you now and I want you now and I desire you now because you've opened up the eyes of my heart to see the glory of your glory in Christ. And what we do at the end of every service is we take the Lord's Supper together. We take the cracker and the cup, the cracker representing the body of the Lord that was crushed for our sins, for our guilt. The blood of the Lord that has purchased us for himself. And maybe you haven't taken the Lord's Supper for a while. I'm glad you're taking it seriously. But maybe today, if you've already been baptized today, you say, you know what, I'm ready now again to see the Lord and to walk close with him. And so come and partake in the supper with us. If you're here today and you know Christ, and you've professed him through baptism, come. If you're walking with him, come. If you haven't been walking with him, and you say, now I'm going to, I know, I see now, come. What a Savior. What a Savior. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Lord, I pray today that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so we could see your glory. The, as it says in Isaiah, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You have revealed your power, your majesty, your might to us, your people. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here, God. I pray for them if they do not know you, that right now, Jesus, they to their heart to see you, to know you, to love you, to want you. And I pray that even today, salvation would come to your people here. And I pray for those who have been walking far from you that today, again, they can walk in the knowledge of you, that they can walk in the freedom of your forgiveness, that they can walk in the power of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys may continue to lead us in worship.